Hey, all right, everyone. Welcome to the newest episode of Heal Thyself. Man, I am so excited. I'll tell you why. I'm back home on the East Coast and I'm enjoying, and by enjoying, I mean dreading this cold weather every single morning. I miss California. I really do. But the beautiful thing is I get to bring in some of my favorite guests who didn't come out, to, who can't come out to California to talk about some amazing stuff. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. Today's a very special day because we are going to be talking about something so important for us fellas, right? This is an episode dedicated to the men. I have not given men enough love on this show, and I am sorry about that, but please forgive me because today we're coming with the fire, okay? So we have a knowledge bomb coming up, no product review, and we have one of the best naturopathic doctors in the whole field coming in, a close friend of mine, Dr. Ralph Esposito. So without further ado, let's jump into the knowledge bomb. All right, so if you're a man or you have a loved one who's a male or dad or, you know, brother, grandfather, uncle, best friend, coworker, um, someone you just recently met, regardless, we have to talk about prostate cancer. We have to, we have to, we have to, because everyone pretty much will get prostate cancer in their life. It just depends on how aggressive it is and if it will kill you. So excluding non-melanoma skin cancer, uh, it is the most common cancer in men. Okay, we're going to get about 174,650 new cases. That's a 6% increase from last year. And then out of those new cases, thank God, a smaller amount, but one death is too much already, 31,620 deaths will come. That's a 7% increase. So about one in six to one in nine men in their lifetime will get prostate cancer. African Americans are more susceptible, especially to aggressive prostate cancer. The average age of diagnosis is 66. So, like breast cancer, it is never too early, right? I'm in my 30s. It's not too early right now, especially, especially if you have a first-degree relative, like your father or your brother, someone in your family who has had prostate cancer. It's very, very important to make these interventions now. So what are the risk factors for prostate cancer? Okay, so over 65 years of age, it's rare to see someone under 40 with prostate cancer. I mentioned Afri African-American. Again, I said family history, very, very important. But I gotta talk about, I gotta talk about obesity, all right? 30% of Americans are obese. Compare that to Ethiopia, Bangladesh, Nepal, Madagascar, that's about 2%. We are the fastest growing country for obesity. And obesity is huge, not only for prostate cancer, but you know I talk a lot about breast cancer, the same thing and many other cancers out there, okay? It is the fastest growing in the United States. The American Cancer Society suggests that obesity increased the risk of future prostate cancer. For men who were overweight, the extra risk was just 8%, but obesity increases a man's risk by 20%. And then talk about severe, severe obesity, that boosted up to 34%. Now remember, it's overall obesity, but we also have to think about abdominal, visceral fat, right? Yeah, that's, that, that's talking about even the skinny fat people, right? That's still obesity. We have to think about what our damn abdominal fat amount is and how to reduce that. That's major. Unfavorable findings in surgery are tied into obesity, more likely for recurrence and relapse if you did have breast cancer. So the more excess body fat you have, the worse the prognosis, right? So I have um, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon coming in later and we're going to be talking about the importance of muscle and fat ratios and this is what I'm trying to push is understanding that your body composition plays a huge huge role 
in the in the promotion and progression of cancer. So you gotta stay lean. You gotta 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 stay lean. Okay. So then we want to talk about diet, right? Naturally, we go right into diet. Diets high in saturated fat, particularly animal fat, and low in veggies, are like we eat in the West are really promoters of prostate cancer, right? So we have an animal study in Nature Genetics that showed that a high-fat diet activated and deleted these certain genes that drive the metastasis of prostate cancer, right? So metastasis meaning the spread, right? So basically what that's saying is these high-fat diets uh, have a negative effect on the genes and it pushes the, the spread of prostate cancer, right? So fat is an essential macronutrient, but too much, too, too much is no good, right? This is why sometimes I have a problem with the keto diet because the keto diet really pushes a high level of fat. And high fats are associated with breast cancer, colon cancer, and as I mentioned, prostate cancer. And in this mice study that showed this, that their diet was about 60% fat, whereas something like the keto would have about 75%. So that was a mice study, but what about in humans? Well, in humans, we see that it was associated with a high risk of aggressive prostate cancer, the more fat, the more fatty or more percent of your diet that was fat. And uh, for humans, it was also associated with recurrence of prostate cancer if you already had it. Um, what about meat? There was a study in the Nutrition and Metabolism Journal of 2014 that reviewed all of the nutritional factors around prostate cancer. And they concluded that red meat, dietary fat, and milk should be minimized. And then fruits and vegetables, especially fruits, with, uh, fruits and vegetables high in polyphenols, particularly fruits, um, these are very powerful antioxidant micronutrients, really important stuff. And this is why I talk about plants. This is why I talk about varieties. This is why I talk about color, because it's literally a safety net for all diseases and health overall, okay? So from all the available information they put together, of course we need more randomized controlled trials, but really what we're seeing is that really, really high fat diets, high saturated fat, low vegetables are a big issue, okay? In the Journal of Nutrition and Dietetics, there was a systematic review of all the literature. They went over all the literature to, to find out where the conclusive evidence was. So this is what they said, and this is what there, was their quote at the end of it. Although conclusive evidence is limited, the current data are indicative that a diet low in fat, high in vegetables and fruits, and avoiding high energy intake, meaning a lot of calories, excessive meat, excessive dairy products, and calcium intake is possibly effective for preventing prostate cancer. Okay, and this was a pretty, uh, pretty strong study, actually. Um, and so what they were saying, again, is dietary fat, and particularly high fat, high animal fat, low vegetables are a big issue. Okay, so what about the overall risk for prostate cancer, right? What about for advanced, advanced prostate cancer, right? The aggressive one, right? Like I said, a lot of us men are going to die one day with prostate cancer, and it's not going to be the thing that kills us. But what about the aggressive one? Because I've seen many, many men die from aggressive prostate cancer that is metastasizing to their bones. So there was a review in the European Journal of Cancer Prevention showed that total fat intake and specifically saturated fat intake are significantly associated with the increase of advanced prostate cancer. They also noted that higher animal fat intake was associated with advanced prostate cancer. So maybe right now they're saying 
it's it's just overall saturated fat. But it might be the type of fat because a few animal models are showing that the long chain saturated fats are the dangerous ones, which are the lards, the bacon, the dairy, the beef, the eggs. Whereas the shorter chain ones, like the tropical oils, like coconut or palm oil, may be more protective. This isn't definitive. This is just what they saw in animal studies. And we don't know how it translates to human beings yet. But again, as a whole, we have to be careful with our amount of saturated fat. It drives me crazy when they say saturated fat is back and, back and we should just eat all this saturated fat. Eat your butter, put it in your coffee, scoop it up and you know, put it in your salad. That's overkill. That's too much. The monounsaturated fatty acids, these are avocados, nut butter, olive oil, nut, different nuts and seeds. They were thought to be very protective. Um, but right now it's inconclusive. And what I'm getting at is the Mediterranean diet, right? I studied under um, Gio Espinoza and we, I, did, I did my whole preceptorship in urology, so I saw a lot of prostate cancer early on. And really what he was pushing is the Mediterranean diet or something more plant-based along that spectrum, not only for longevity, but also for prostate cancer. And that involves a lot of olive oil. But as I just said, the, the monounsaturated fatty acids um, we thought were really protective, like olive oils and avocados and nut butter, which are amazing in, in their own right. But when it comes to prostate cancer, it's inconclusive right now. Whereas the polyunsaturated fatty acids like salmon, walnuts, sunflower seeds, soybeans, safflower, flax, those omega-3s are really important because they are going to be protective for prostate cancer. But remember, the ratio between omega-3s and omega-6, and I talked about this on other shows, is really important, right? Omega-6s tend to be pretty pro-inflammatory in the body, and Americans eat typically 30 to 1 ratio, 6 omega-6 to omega-3. We want to bring that down to like 4 to 1 or 2 to 1. So make sure that you understand what foods are really rich in omega-3s and bringing those into your diet and reducing those really high omega-6 ones, okay? So why? Why do, why do these fats promote um, prostate cancer? And sometimes, in many cases, as I said, aggressive prostate cancer is it promotes something called insulin-like growth, growth factor, which really pushes the growth of cancer cells. It has an effect on androgens, remember testosterone, things like that. And it increases reactive oxidation species in the form of something called lipid peroxidases. These are oxidants that can damage DNA and start the induction of the cancer process, or if there is prostate cancer, really start pushing it forward. Okay, other risk factors, BRCA1, BRCA2, just like breast cancer. If you have BRCA2, especially, that's the, that's the one associated with more aggressive prostate cancer. Smoking, STDs, infection, really important. All right, so look, hopefully you put your dad onto this or you put your uncle onto this or someone that you really care about and they're listening and they go, okay, well, I hear all of that, but uh, what do I do? I'm here to tell you what you're going to do. Here are the recommendations, all right? Do the Dutch test yearly. A Dutch test is a dried urine test that will show you your hormonal breakdown, not only overall hormones, but their metabolites. Very, very important to be doing this yearly, especially if you have a history of prostate cancer or a family history of prostate cancer. Movement and exercise, I talked about obesity. I talked about the importance of muscle to fat ratio. So important when it comes to prostate cancer. Lose weight, if you're obese, you gotta lose weight. There's no way around it. It's gonna be one of the, probably the best intervention you can make for reduction uh, of, or prevention of prostate cancer or reducing um, symptoms of prostate cancer and being in remission. Veggies, less animal fat, I spoke about that. High omega-3s, really cool, found to be protective in prostate cancer. These are things like salmon, sardines, other fish, chia seeds, hemp seeds, nuts, beans. Uh, vitamin D, you wanna have it at a sweet spot of about 60, not too high, not too low. 
Um, I did I did say omega threes, but I, I failed to mention that what they do is basically they inhibit the cell proliferation of these prostate cancer cells, and then they inhibit something called angiogenesis, where these prostate cancer cells are asking new blood vessels to grow around so it can feed them. It actually inhibits, so it's really important to start working with those. It also protects the cell, the mitochondria. It induces something called apoptosis, so those pro prostate cancer cells are actually dying because of it. I'd avoid calcium supplements. I don't think calcium should be a supplement. Um, you should never give someone a calcium supplement. I don't know why doctors recommend that. Calcium supplements are no good, um, especially in the context of prostate cancer, uh, but they don't necessarily do anything for the bones at all. Uh, hormone disruptors, xenoestrogens, get off plastic, get off BPA. Um, know what xenoestrogens are, know what BPA are. BPA is. Uh, you can find it also in the lining of different canned foods like beans or tomatoes. Know where you're finding it and what's disrupting your hormones. Green tea daily across the board. Green tea is amazing. Make sure you're getting a really high quality one. There's Sencha or Encha and Peak. Those are very good green teas. If you're going to be drinking it daily, you can want to make sure they have low or no heavy metals. Turmeric as a spice. Burlap and Barrel is one of the best ones to find your turmeric. Make sure you're cooking with it every single day as an anti-inflammatory. Cruciferous vegetables. It's, it's, doesn't it sound a lot like breast cancer when I start talking about this? It's because they're very closely knit, especially the way they're promoted uh, through the hormonal pathways, how we're seeing these cancers progress. Cruciferous vegetables are going to be lowering that estrogen in the body, metabolizing estrogen. Coffee was shown to be protective. Um, soy, I'm going to talk about with Dr. Uh, Dr. Ralph coming in soon. Uh, always get your prostate check, especially if you have family history. Make sure you're getting that digital rectal exam. Controlling that stress. Meditation. Yoga. You got trauma, you got to deal with it. You got to release that trauma, okay? Lycopene. Um, remember, if you eat a raw tomato, you're not getting enough lycopene. You're getting a lot of vitamin C. You have to cook that tomato to start liberating or creating that lycopene. So you want to cook it on low for about 20 minutes and a little bit of oil, and you'll be creating a mush that is lycopene rich. Okay. I didn't mention one thing purposefully, because when I know that Dr. Ralph comes on, we're going to go into it. He is so passionate about prostate. He is so prostate cancer. Uh, hormones, and just prevention in general, and you'll see it come through. So I'm really excited to get him on. We're really going to go back and review a lot of this stuff. And listen, this show is for everyone's care, everyone's loved ones who, who, who we want to prevent prostate cancer with, who have had prostate cancer, and we're going to be changing lives with this. So let's get Ralph on uh, and move to the next segment. Hey, all right, everyone. Today's special guest is actually a close friend of mine. I've been waiting to get him on since day one, and he's here. I'm over here on the East Coast. This is my first East Coast show that we're doing. And uh, without further ado, I have to introduce my man, Dr. Ralph Esposito. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, when I say Ralph is the man, he's the man. <laughs> on the weekdays, on the weekdays. On the weekdays, On the weekdays, weekday, weekends, it's all you, bro. Is it? Okay, okay. So yeah, man. you and I went to school together. We did, yeah. yeah. You were a year ahead, or almost a two year. years ahead. A year or two. Yeah. I, and, and I remember for two years, I tried to, to get you to come out and be social, and all you wanted to do <laughs> was study prostate and everything else, right? Yeah, basically, I was um, had my head up my... In other terms, yeah, but I was just I was just studying, man. Yeah. I was real serious about that, and I and I appreciate that. I I wanted to give you a little bit more balance, but then, uh, 
but but it's good because you found your way. Um, we both had the same mentor also. We did. Dr. Gio. That's right, yeah. Up in NYU. I know, I trained with him. Well, I met him when I was at NYU, so almost seven years. Yeah. I, st I was at his birthday last week, yeah. like two weeks ago. And he's an amazing guy. And, and the, the, the reason why, I, I mean, I dedicated this whole show to prostate. So this is basically the, the men's show. Now, uh, the audience is uh, a lot of women, but we have people in our lives who we care about who are men, right? Dads, uncles, brothers, coworkers, I don't care who it is, right? Yeah. So we need to give these fellows a lot more love. Yeah, well, and the key to a man's health is his partner. Yeah. Whether that's his wife, his girlfriend, his fiance, mm -hmm. or his boyfriend, or whatever yeah. it is. It, that The partner is there. So women, men, everybody needs to contribute to a man's health. And how many times have we seen, even back in school, that it was always really the woman dragging her boyfriend or oh, yeah. whatever to the clinic. Oh, yeah. He's like, what is this naturopathic medicine? I don't know. <laughs> and then she's like, no, honey, you got to come check it out. Yeah. Uh, but it's pretty incredible, the the work that you're doing. Um, you and I really started, like, putting information out there at the same time. We, we've gone through this journey pretty much We did. Together. Do you remember uh, the manifestation? Yeah. We had this whole conversation. We were like, yo, yeah. in another year, mm -hmm. we're going to manifest this. This is going to happen. Yeah. Look at you where you're at now right now. Yeah. Bro. And we stated this. And, and you yourself, too. So, yeah. yeah, Ralph and I did have a conversation about what we want to create in our lives back when we, right, when we came out of school. And we were just like wet behind the ears, taking, mm -hmm. you know, you know, patience and making ends meet. But it's beautiful that what you've created in your life. So let's tell the audience and listeners a little bit about what you do. Um, you're yep. here in New York, right? I am in New York. Yep. Okay. So uh, undergraduate training at NYU nutrition. I then went to University of Bridgeport, finished my naturopathic degree like you did. Also have my acupuncture degree. So I have a mix of Western medicine, Chinese medicine, naturopathic medicine, trained at NYU Urology for about seven years, uh, published a few papers, a few textbook chapters there. Now I've practiced in a private practice in New York City. I help um, uh, coordinate and co-care for patients with other doctors in the practice. And we focus on essentially, um, well, my focus is focusing more on the hormonal aspect, mm -hmm. the lifestyle, the nutrition, the lifestyle medicine that we do for our patients on a daily basis to make sure that they can improve their health span and their lifespan. So I think people increasing their lifespan um, means nothing unless you're actually improving their health span and that, you know, prostate preventing prostate cancer. It's all about preventing chronic illness yeah. with a focus mostly on the male side hormonal aspect. That's it's kind of like my jam. Yeah, that is, that's the jam. I mean, prevention is something that we are not paying attention to, uh, not we in particular, but I'm just talking about for all of the yeah. conventional paradigm is, you know, you know, you know how it is. We all know how it is, right? It's sick care model. Um, it's hard to get society doing things until it's in front of them. Like, yeah. I mean, look, I, I would be a hypocrite to say like, I don't stretch enough until my back hurts. You see what I mean? But, yeah. you know, people don't do things till disease manifests. But I'm really trying hard to have women understand about and men about breast cancer and what to do. Yeah. And I think you're doing a lot of the same thing. So um, I want to talk about prostate cancer. You could talk about it. Right. And uh, I know I know you love it as much as me. I talk about it, too, all the time, man. Mm -hmm. And um, today's show was dedicated on prostate cancer. If but, we can save one life today, yeah, one guy to go to can. the doctor today. We can, 100,000%. I'm happy. Yeah, so um, actually a family member of mine had a scare, I remember, with prostate cancer, and you were right there. The we same were, one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about it. So what are some things that men 
need to start doing now? I mean, like, we don't, we don't think about our prostates. We're no. in our 30s, right? How right. old are you? Uh, turning 30 in a Amen. few months. There you go. Amen. All right. So we're in our 30s. And uh, what do we do? What do we do? How do we start? What do we think about? It's too early to think about prostate, right? No, I don't think it's ever too early to talk about or think about your prostate. So my grandfather had prostate cancer. Thankfully, my father did not. But the first thing that you have to do is take a step back and say, am I at risk? If you are at risk, then you must be more vigilant in preventing prostate cancer. That's exactly the, the name of the game. I'm not about treating prostate cancer when it comes along. You have to get ahead of it. The big thing to understand is prostate cancer, most men will die with prostate cancer than die from prostate cancer. So essentially, we will all, you and I will have prostate cancer at some point, mm -hmm. whether it's at our 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, we will have it. The question becomes, is it an aggressive prostate cancer and does it kill you? And the measures that you need to take in order to prevent that in your 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s start today. And it starts with nutrition, it starts with sleep, it starts with exercise, and it starts with lifestyle and stress modification. Those are the four things that you need to really get in tune right now. Then come along the screening aspects, which we're definitely too young for that. But as you get into your 40s, that's when you start having to screen with you know, PSA, getting your prostate checked with your doctor. That's the first step. Assess your risk factors today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And risk factors being, okay, did my uncle have it? Is that the big risk factor of my dad or my brother? So the, the largest risk factor occurs if a first-degree relative had prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. So uncle would not count. Uh, grandfather would not be a huge risk factor. But if your father and or your brother had prostate cancer, your risk also goes up. Now, if your father or brother had an aggressive prostate cancer, that is a, it's kind of like a double mark on it. So I basically assess prostate cancer risk as, do you have one up arrow? Do you have two up arrows? Do you have three up arrows? Or is it just like, you know, infinite? Oh, I and, I, and I think, and I don't know this for a fact as to, how do you measure like, is it two or three or is it five, yeah. right? How do you measure that? I don't know, but uh, that's the art of medicine. Mm -hmm. Like that's what makes what we do so beautiful. So the way I look at it is if your father, your uncle, or your brother had prostate cancer, and if it was aggressive, I give you three up arrows. Mm -hmm. Like I need, you, at 40 years old, you're getting a prostate exam and you're getting a PSA test. And then depending on that, we'll, you know, move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do something very similar for breast cancer, yeah. except I draw like a big diagram. Um, so it, when it comes to, you mentioned, you mentioned basic stuff that we're not paying attention to, right? You said sleep, yeah. you know, but how many of us sacrifice sleep as the first thing? And this past year, I've made it an effort to really put a lot of power into what I'm doing with my sleep. And it makes a huge difference. I mean, That's sleep right. is like top tier. I think you were texting me about this maybe two or three weeks ago. You're like, yeah. yo, look at my data here. Look at yeah, my sleep numbers. Yeah, because we both share the aura ring. Yep. And um, I, got my, I got mine a little late in the game. But when I got it, I was getting sleep scores like 55, 65, 65, yep. 69. Like, and I just couldn't break even 70. And I wasn't understanding why I wasn't sleeping. I mean, I was in bed for eight hours. What do you right. mean? But I'm getting six and a half, maybe five and a half hours of sleep. So... What, what's the value of sleep when it comes to, not we know that it does everything for health, but how about in the context of prostate cancer? Yeah, so is there a study that says men who have seven and a half to eight hours have a X amount reduction in prostate cancer risk? I don't think there is one that I've read that really convinces me that sleep prevents prostate cancer. But mechanistically, I can tell you exactly why I think it's essential to prevent most cancers, 
but let's focus on prostate cancer. And now we're going to go into the conversation of hormones, right? So cortisol, testosterone, estrogen. If you have poor sleep, okay, if you're getting, and definition of sleep deprivation is around, is less than six hours per day. Like that's deep sleep deprivation. I consider sleep deprivation less than seven hours per day. So if you're not, or per night, if you're not getting seven hours of sleep, you are already putting yourself at a risk of multiple um, uh, health issues, health mm -hmm. risks. But when you look at, at prostate cancer per se, can I say that, you know, this exact mechanism, which I'll explain in a second, is the, you know, the end-all, be-all, like you must follow this in order to prevent prostate cancer? No, because it's a multifactorial, multivariable disease, mm -hmm. right? And like everything. Like all cancers, I, I, too. Yeah. Like all cancers, mm -hmm. and you know this, right? Mm -hmm. But I can argue that men who have sleep deprivation have lower levels of free and total testosterone. So if you want to correct a man's testosterone levels, you have to first look at their sleep. Mm -hmm. If you can correct their sleep, their testosterone levels will correct. So why, what does that matter? Ralph, testosterone causes prostate cancer. Well, actually, not entirely true. And a lot of the literature suggests that low free testosterone levels and low total testosterone levels over a long period of time actually increases your risk of aggressive prostate cancer. So if you told me, what do I need to do to make sure I have healthy hormone levels to make sure that my prostate is going to stay healthy, I would say you need to sleep first. Okay, so just testosterone, great. What else? Cortisol. Cortisol levels will spike when you have low sleep, and we see this all the time. Uh, I do a lot of glucose testing with my patients, so I'll check like their hemoglobin A1C, I'll check their morning blood glucose with like a finger prick, right? And they always ask me, well, why is my morning glucose so high? Well, it's your cortisol. Yeah. Your cortisol is high because you're not sleeping. Mm -hmm. What does cortisol do? It ramps up inflammatory markers. It increases interleukin-1. It increases interleukin-6, uh, right? It increases all these pro-inflammatory markers. And if you really want cancer to survive, you need to provide it with an environment that is, um, that is nourishing to cancer cells. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to do is starve it of that environment. Yeah. So I don't want cortisol in there. I don't want low testosterone levels in there. I don't want high estrogen levels in there. That's not what I want. I want the opposite. Mm -hmm. And sleep is the major regulator in actually achieving those. And it's something that you have to do on a daily basis. Yeah, that's literally like taking a daily capsule or daily medication. Yeah. Like the, the amount of emphasis that has to come for sleep, especially if you've been diagnosed with cancer, can't be understated, right? Absolutely. It even allows the medications to work better, mm. right? It even allows your body to recover. If you have prostate cancer and you're not sleeping and you're undergoing chemotherapy or radiation or you had a prostatectomy, you think you're going to recover if mm. you're not sleeping? Yeah. Like that's when we release growth hormone. That's when we release our restorative hormones. Yeah. That's when we, our cortisol level should be the lowest. Yeah. Right, mm -hmm. and you spoke with Carrie Jones, Doctor Doctor Jones, right? Yeah. He talked about cortisol awakening response and high cortisol levels. Well, it shouldn't be high overnight; it should be low overnight. And then also talk about melatonin. Yeah, that's right? what I was gonna get. Uh, that was literally my next. Thing. I, I read your mind. The power of mind. melatonin at night. Yeah, anti-cancer, anti-inflammatory, antioxidant. Absolutely. It also inhibits an enzyme called uh, gonadotropin inhibitory hormone. Mm -hmm. Right. So we, we we've you've probably seen this or we spoke about it. But melatonin makes sure that your body's ability to create its own hormones is not inhibited. Yeah. And we know that there is some literature suggesting that melatonin at higher doses can be preventive, or uh, therapeutic and cancer patients. Mm -hmm. So if you don't sleep, you have high cortisol levels, you have very low endogenous melatonin levels, you're really just asking for it. Yeah, you're creating that that environment that you're alluding to right there. Yeah. 
of, uh, of cancer growth. Now, you mentioned nutrition, and um, earlier in the show, I went over all these nutrition points with prostate cancer, but I, I purposefully, I purposefully didn't touch on dairy. Okay. Because I want to know what doctor, the great Dr. Ralph, <laughs> says about dairy and prostate cancer. I mean, you and I do eat differently, but there's something that I always talk about. I, I don't think that dairy has a role, and I think it, it causes a lot more damage than good for people, especially even quality. But really what it does for these patients is something that I, I think we can remove. I mean, you've seen patients or, or women with androgenic acne or something, mm -hmm. and like these hormone tests that we yeah. do, we take it out and it gets better so fast. And we're like, right. Jesus, dairy? No one ever told you about dairy. Right. Um, what do you have to say? Oh, man, are we going to open a can of worms here? It's it's not a simple conversation. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you that dairy causes prostate cancer. Yeah. I also can't tell you that dairy doesn't cause prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. The literature, I believe it was the Physician's Health Study, which is the most recent, did a big analysis on dairy and prostate cancer risk. And they found that there was a hazard ratio of about, I think it was like 1.7 or 1 mm -hmm. 1.8 for individuals who had more than three servings of dairy a day. So that's eight ounce cup of milk, that's two to three ounces of cheese, probably cottage cheese, yogurt, all of the above. And they found that those individuals who had higher levels of dairy uh, were correlated with higher rates of prostate cancer. So in my mind, my first question is, well, what does that tell me about what's going on? And then I looked into the study a little bit more, and they actually assessed people who already had prostate cancer. So then I asked the question, are people with prostate cancer, should they avoid dairy? And that is probably where I would say, you know what, you probably want to hang off on the dairy right now until we can have a better understanding of right. what it does. But can I say at my age or your age or even somebody you know, 40, 50 years old, does dairy cause prostate cancer? I can't say that it does. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, epidemiological studies are really hard to interpret because really what we're doing is we're looking back yeah, yeah. and we're taking huge amounts of population. Like Really hard. It's super hard because uh, a hazard ratio of 1.87 is not very moving. Like, for example, to, we can say cigarettes cause, uh, cause cancer. Cigarettes cause lung cancer because yeah. the hazard ratio and the relative risk ratios are the upwards of like five or 10. So that tells you that there's a very, very, very strong correlation. This is not about like statistically significant or not. This is like how yeah, strongly know. are they correlated, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And that we know like cigarettes, don't do it. Really, really bad for you. Dairy at a 1.8 or a 1.9 or like those are the numbers that I've been seeing. Can I conclusively say that this is something that you absolutely need to avoid from your diet? I would say if you had to take a chance, right, and if you could live without dairy, like what do you lose from that? Mm -hmm. And what do you gain from that? Mm -hmm. I usually tell people that they should avoid a lot of dairy. Yeah. Because it's a crap food, right? It's, it's literally a crap yeah. food. Overall, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's the way that we process it, the way that it's heated, the cows that it's coming from. Like, have you ever seen a baby calf drink milk from a cow on a farm? Mm. No, yeah. they stick suction cups yeah. to their, to them and they pull out their milk, yeah. right? That That's not a normal environment. Yeah. So um, it's a very, very touchy conversation. I think the literature is not entirely clear yet, but for somebody who has prostate cancer now, and they're like, if I have this dairy, will it kill me? Um, I can't say yes. Mm -hmm. I can't say that it will, but I don't see any downsides of removing it. For sure. And I always do. Any, anyone who has prostate cancer, 
no more dairy. We're yeah. Done. You know, we have enough alternatives now where you'll be fine. Yeah. You know, unless they're really, really into it. They're like, no, it drives my life. And then we talk about, are you addicted to dairy? Right. You know, because casomorphins and whatnot. Um, really interesting. So then, th- then the, that like transitions to another food like soy then. Oh. Right. Um, because, and this is something I've always been confused about because I'll see, I'll see some things. Yes. So I, then I'll say no soy. Right. In the pro- context of prostate cancer. Yeah. And, um, and I spoke to Gio about this before, and um, I think he was for it. But what? Where is it now? Because I haven't been. Yeah, you know. I don't think the the verdict is out. I think what I follow the rule of is soy is so contaminated with glyphosate, yeah. and it's genetically modified. It's, it really serves. It's a crap food. I keep on using it. Yeah. It is a crap yeah. food. Like it's a filler food. Yeah. Right. You shouldn't be adding to your diet a filler food. Mm-hmm. Now, is miso better? I think the research shows that miso is probably neutral. Mm-hmm. I would advise men to stay away from soy or any type of phytoestrogen at very high doses. Mm-hmm. But then that comes into the conversation. Well, what about flax? Mm-hmm. Right. Because flax has phytoestrogens yeah. in it. Yeah. So do beans and so do legumes. I yeah. think the poison is in the dose. I see. So You're really I, eating it as like a central part of yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah. I, I would say if men had to have any type of soy, miso is probably okay. Mm-hmm. But I, pro- I probably would not advise them to go ahead and have tofu as part of their mainstay diet. But now we see all these therapies, right? Like the Gerson therapy, mm-hmm. which use it's a very high soy, high f- um, uh, phytoestrogen mm-hmm. uh, diet. Mm-hmm. It, and there are a lot of people who have benefit from it. I have one patient who personally I met and he was like, I was, I'm doing the Gerson therapy. I was like, that's fine. That's cool. Do it. Like, if you want that to work for you, that's great. I don't know how long this is going to last. And it lasted and he had a uh, reduction in his PSA, but then it came back with a vengeance. Mm. Is that a result of just the natural progression of the cancer? Is that a prevention? It's always hard to tell. It really is. It's hard. Now, does it have to do with a low protein diet? Mm. You know, can- prostate cancer is very unlike other types of cancers because it's a very slow growing cancer and you can miss it a lot. And that scares me. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of doctors will say, you know, you shouldn't be testing the PSA. Well, what else is there? Mm. What What do you got? Mm-hmm. You want to just do a, you know, uh, a, a digital rectal exam and you just want to feel guys' prostates? Like, that's not very sensitive either. Yeah. So um, coming back to the conversation of soy, um, it's if you had, and, and you also have to look at different populations, like the Japanese population, the Chinese population, they have higher amounts of soy in their diet. Mm-hmm. But when they come to America, their risk of cancers go up. Yeah, in like one or two generations. It's yeah, it's crazy. quick. Yeah. So is it the combination of the soy with the standard American diet? Mm. And I think that's really what we come down to is this. if you establish a milieu, a hormonal milieu that is um, pro-cancer growth, I don't know if one particular ingredient in there is to blame. I think you've just created the perfect storm, and it's going to re- be really hard to reverse that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, th- that's that's great stuff, Ralph. Um, what about um, so so we st- we spoke about androgens. You were you were talking about testosterone too low. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of people talk about testosterone too high yeah. with prostate cancer. So you you really it's so important for you to get it right in the middle, good good level of testosterone. Yeah. Um, that's the first part of the question. And the second part would be like, all right, what about folks who are on like androgen deprivation therapies? What, yeah. where, do, where do we go now with that? Yeah. So I just read a study the other day about androgen deprivation therapy, uh, AKA Lupron, mm-hmm. but there's other kinds now. Yeah. And essentially what they do is they chem- chemically castrate a man. Mm-hmm. 
And I, at NYU for so many years, at NYU Urology, most men where they're on androgen deprivation therapy, they have to be on it for life. Yeah. Most of the time they're on it for, you know, five, 10 years. And when they stop, the cancer comes back very aggressively. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the second part of the question. The first part of the question is testosterone, is there a happy medium? You know, what is the Goldilocks rule? I don't know if more is better, but I definitely know that less is not good, mm. right? So the question becomes, is it sup- are supraphysiological levels of testosterone beneficial? S- and the answer to that is we have no idea. Nobody does studies on, you know, if your testosterone is 1,000, is that better than if it's 500 or yeah. 600? Testosterone, the range is from around, depending, the fifth percentile is around 300 nanograms per deciliter, sometimes goes up to 1,000 or 1,200 nanograms per deciliter. 300 to 1,200. If you don't fall within that range, there's seriously something wrong, mm-hmm. right, as a man. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the first thing you need to address. Then you have to look at free testosterone levels. And that is usually from about like 3.5 to upwards of like uh, 20, I'm sorry, it's about 5 to like 20 nanograms per deciliter. Mm -hmm. And I like to have men around the 50th percentile. Why do I want them there? So the reason why testosterone gets such a bad reputation with prostate cancer is something called DHT, right? So that I think that's where you were going with like Mm -hmm. testosterone levels too high. And DHT is a byproduct of testosterone by the enzyme 5-alpha reductase. So there's certain medications such as um, finasteride and dutasteride that reduce the activity of 5-alpha reductase and prevent the conversion to DHT. And in earlier studies in animals and dogs, we found that dogs who were castrated, basically their testicles were removed, their prostate cancer, uh, they didn't get as much prostate cancer and their prostates decreased in size. So that brings to the assumption that DHT or testosterone is contributing to that. Well, the research now does not suggest that that's the case. And recent research, I was actually just um, wrote a chapter in the textbook of natural medicine with mm-hmm. Geo, actually, mm-hmm. and we were talking about uh, DHT and the impact on the prostate. And it's not DHT exactly per se, but it's the metabolites of DHT. Nobody mm-hmm. ever looks at those. Mm-hmm. The one test that does do that uh, is Dutch. Mm-hmm. They look at the 5-alpha metabolite of DHT. There's also a 5-beta metabolite. And this falls into breast cancer as well. It's, it's estrogen receptors that are the problem mm-hmm. and contributing factors to prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's like the one thing that most people have a complete misconception of. Mm-hmm. It's not the testosterone. It's high estradiol and high activation of al- estrogen receptor alpha. Mm-hmm. I'm getting like really geeky right now. You got to slow me no, down. No, 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 <laughs> no. People need to know this. And, yeah. and if it doesn't. It just the information is the information. Like we'll get it. You yeah. Know? And um, what? Well, that's that's so interesting because they. I mean, that makes sense, right? Because we talk about BPA, right? Right. And how it's associated with breast cancer and prostate cancer. Yeah. I mean, you have these xenoestrogens coming into the body. Right. Right, and pushing forward this cancer, and you know that makes complete sense. So, so to sum to summarize, then you're saying. Not necessarily testosterone, testosterone receptors. It's really estrogen, estrogen receptors. It's estrogen, estrogen receptors alpha. The beta help prevent. So the beta receptors promote differentiation. So when we see Gleason scores in prostate cancer cells, you're looking at, you know, how much does this cell look like a cancer cell? Mm-hmm. How well differentiated is it? And estrogen receptor beta 
helps to promote differentiation. So it allows it to look more like a normal cell. Mm -hmm. And when we see cancer cells, we say this is poorly differentiated or not well differentiated. And that's the uh, action of estrogen receptor alpha. Mm -hmm. So a lot of animal studies, they knock out estrogen receptor alpha. It's gone. You just have beta and the cancer cells slow down. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I think in animal studies, it went from like, you know, uh, animals that had the estrogen receptor alpha beta, alpha, um, estrogen receptor alpha knocked out, they had like a 5% risk of prostate cancer. They developed 5%, mm. 5% of those mice developed prostate cancer. You wipe out the beta receptor in, um, in, in mice and the risk of prostate cancer goes way up almost mm. by 50%. Mm. So the, be- the beta receptor is protective, but it depends on what binds to it. And it's, it's estradiol that has the biggest impact. Okay. So you have to look at those. Yeah. And I wonder if the xenoestrogens are binding to the alpha. It's a great question. Mm-hmm. I have not seen any studies that tested the impact of xenoestrogens, like BPA, on the estrogen receptor. I, it may be there. I haven't seen it. But then you have to look at the estrogen metabolites. 2-hydroxyestrone, mm-hmm. 4-hydroxy, and then 16-hydroxy, those are also binding to estrogen yeah. receptors. Yeah. And we know the 4-hydroxy is problematic. You've had this discussion before, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, 100%. So you're asking amazing questions, Chris. To, I'm into it. <laughs> yeah, man. And I really wish I had simple answers, yeah. but this is so complex that it, it frustrates me a lot of times when a lot of these people on social media are like, they act as if they know the answer. Yeah. Like, this is the answer. No, no. It's, there's pretty much never an answer definitively never. for anything in medicine, period. No. It's so hard because every time I think I know something, all of a sudden a new study comes out. I'm like, okay, well, this says the opposite. Now what? Now I have to go back. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's literally like you're always learning and moving and new stuff. Um, so, so, and everyone should be doing the Dutch test. If you have prostate cancer or breast cancer, do the Dutch test. Uh, or before or before like i have one done. i have i have one done like we should as men and women we should do this every single year especially if we have a first degree relative yeah we have to be then we have to be on it um the 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 one the other thing you mentioned um was exercise and movement yeah right and i know you're big into working out you know i've, I've seen i've seen you building muscle you look like a you look like a fitness model now <laughs> uh, <Not> quite. <laughs> so so tell me tell me how how important is, is movement and exercise for these folks for prevention in the folks who have been diagnosed? Yeah. So if you have prostate cancer, you have to exercise. No ifs, ands, or buts. You have to exercise. And why? Well, because if you have to go to the point of androgen deprivation therapy where you have to be on something that basically brings your testosterone levels to, to um, uh, literally zero mm-hmm. number, mm-hmm. right, or undetectable, that is going to have a huge impact on your bone density. Yeah. Right? So a lot fractures. of men, yeah, fractures, falls. Mm-hmm. Like what kills older people? It's falls, falls yeah, yeah. right? Because their bone density is very low and weak. But that also has a lot to do with your uh, muscle mass, mm-hmm. right? So in order to maintain your structure and your function, you need to have, uh, you need to exercise and move the muscle. So that's number one. But a lot of the, the literature suggests that three hours of exercise per week, three to four hours of exercise per week, high intensity exercise. I'm not talking about like walking around the mall. I'm talking about like getting to the gym or getting to uh, like a park or something. I see you work out at the park a lot, which mm-hmm. is awesome. You could do that in mm-hmm. California. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you can kind of do it here, but it's yeah. cold. Um, but exercise prevents uh, pr- the progression and the uh, and promotes the prevention of prostate cancer. Well, why is that? Well, I don't think there's an illness that doesn't p- 
benefit from exercise. Mm -hmm. And essentially what it is, it allows you to metabolize your fuels better. It allows you to utilize sugar as energy better, and it prevents you, and it helps uh, manage your hormonal levels, mm -hmm. right? We got back to our conversation on cortisol. What do you, what do people do to de-stress? I have PC people like post memes. It's like the gym, this is my therapy, uh -huh. right? Yeah. Well, it helps you de-stress. Yeah. And stress is a major contributing factor to prostate cancer and low hormonal levels. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, it's really just not as much more difficult as it, as it is that, mm -hmm. is that the stress and the lack of exercise puts an increased stressor on your hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis mm -hmm. and your adrenal axis. So you need a way out. There's meditation, there's journaling, there's grounding, which you mm -hmm. love to do, love it. sleeping, mm -hmm. and then there's exercise. Yeah. And I think exercise is one of the biggest factors. Same with breast cancer, man. Like, right? Like, I feel like we could have the same conversation. Like, yeah, because they could. They, yeah, there's a, exactly. This is why I want to have this conversation because you know, we haven't given enough love to the men on the show, but, um, or who listen to the show, but we absolutely, I, yeah. I, I'd be remiss if I don't talk about yeah. breast cancer. Yeah. You know? Well, speaking of breast cancer, BRCA gene, mm -hmm. right? We've yeah. spoken about one that two, before yeah. in person, mm -hmm. one and two, also associated with increased risk of prostate cancer, yeah. not just breast cancer. Yeah. So I asked my men, has anybody in your family had breast cancer? Yeah, my mom had breast cancer. Mm -hmm. My sister had breast cancer. I need to screen you for breast cancer, but also more likely prostate cancer. Yeah, amazing. You have to. Yeah, and and one thing that that I wanted to talk about was the when, in exercising the uh, obesity or just fat to muscle ratio yeah. that plays a big role too, right? With Absolutely. Uh, hormones. Absolutely, insulin is the most pro carcinogenic hormone in the body. Arguably, the most pro carcinogenic hormone in the body. Mm -hmm. If you really want to fight cancer, keep your insulin levels low, mm -hmm. right? So we see all these these scans that say, well. Cancer cells love sugar, yeah. right? Like, I, look, we put sugar in a cancer cell and it lights up on yeah. the scan. Yeah. So they blame sugar. Yeah. Sugar's not the biggest issue. Yeah. It's insulin. Yeah. It's the insulin that's getting that sugar into that cell. Mm. That's the problem. Insulin is an anabolic hormone. It promotes growth. It promotes IGF levels. Constantly elevated or chronically elevated insulin levels is a sure-proof way to say, I'm really just asking for trouble. I'm asking for Alzheimer's. I'm asking for cancer. I'm asking for heart disease. Yeah. Like, if you really want to get those things, just have a bagel every day. Yeah, gotcha. Amazing. That's why you're so vigilant and testing people's insulin always. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Everybody. I, and so how, how do the people listening, how do they test their insulin? What do they do? Number one, you have to check a fasting insulin, always. Okay. No negotiations. If you have a doctor and he's going to do testing, you have to check fasting insulin levels in the morning. You always have to do that. And levels have to be, most labs do you know less than 12, less than 10. I like to see it less than nine or eight. Mm -hmm. Lower, typically the better, uh, unless it's super low and you have a low C-peptide. So a C-peptide is a, is a protein that's attached to insulin and allows you to know if you're making enough insulin or not. Mm -hmm. um, I Very rarely would somebody come to me in their mid-30s and be like, you know, I have a low insulin and low C-peptide. Like, okay, well, we need to screen you for type 1 diabetes, yeah. right? But um, you always have to have insulin checked in the morning while fasting, uh, no excuses. Okay. And then you can do other things that can check your insulin levels throughout the day or check your response to insulin levels. But essentially, insulin is a much more sensitive marker to diabetes than fasting blood glucose and hemoglobin A1C. Mm -hmm. You will see an elevated insulin way before you'll see a blood glucose above 100. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. 
So if anyone is has been diagnosed with prostate cancer or even breast cancer, make sure you're always checking your insulin. Um, yeah. And how often would you suggest that these folks check it? Every blood work. Every blood work. I do it every time usually every three to four months. Okay. Why not? Yeah. It's super cheap. It's really quick. It's just an add-on test. It's sensitive enough to let me know what's going on with your diet. But you have to look it into the context of like, look at your triglycerides, look at your lipids, look at your lipoproteins, look at your fasting blood glucose, look at your A1C, look at your adiponectin, look at your leptin, mm -hmm. right? I feel like, like there's like, there's a smile on my face because I, I love this stuff so much mm -hmm. and it frustrates me immensely that it's just not- It's not tested for. It's not standard. Yeah, it's not standard, I know. Why? I, I, so, so I'll have like a patient who's gotten blood work comes over and I'm like, why are they just testing this? I basically have to do everything over, over. again. Um, and it's frustrating, right? Because, yeah. you know, it's, it's money out of their pocket too. Yeah, it's like TSH. Yeah, oh yeah, same Great. thing. That's all, the, yeah, that, that's all we got. That tells me a ton. Yeah, yeah, hypothyroid. Uh, so, so Ralph, that, that's amazing stuff. Um, what, what other nutritional factors, back to that, do you suggest for folks who, who really want to prevent or, or just be their best right now? Like what, in plants, terms of, we love plants, right? Yeah, in terms of prostate cancer yeah, or just in terms of prostate. I don't think anybody will ever argue that you ate too many vegetables, mm -hmm. right? It's like, man, I ate too much salad today. I got to like hold off on that. Yeah, you can't. You can't. Like you literally cannot. I, before I came at a huge bowl of arugula mm -hmm. with some sesame seeds, some tahini dressing, mm -hmm. lemon, uh, walnuts, pumpkin seeds. That was my lunch. And a, oh, and a little piece of salmon, mm -hmm. right? That was lunch for me. So I think when you look at other nutritional factors, you have to focus on plants, yeah. okay? But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have protein. Right. That doesn't mean that you can't have chicken and beef and mm -hmm. salmon. My number one thing, and above all things, is um, whole foods always, yeah. right? If it, if it comes from, if you could look at a nutrition label on it, you're probably going down the wrong route. Mm -hmm. Now, I would argue that I get some of my food from Trader Joe's, which has labels they on it. Labels, but, yeah. but really, like if you could just take it out of the bag and put it in a bowl and and it's a whole food, like arugula, like lettuce. Pumpkin seeds. Pumpkin seeds. Yeah. Uh, artichokes are great. I, I try to get people to eat those things. Now, I would advise people to stay away from charred meats so and processed meats. Yeah. I don't think anybody has ever said uh, this hot dog is good for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, so those I are those agree. are my mainstays. And the charred meats is because of they increase the production of heterocyclic amines. Mm -hmm. Heterocyclic amines can react with your DNA, cause DNA damage, mm -hmm. and that can increase your risk of a multitude of illnesses. Mm -hmm. uh, you can also check your DNA damage via 8-OHDG, 8-hydroxyguanidase, guanosine or guanidase, guanosine, guanosine. Yeah, yeah guanosine. and that's on the Dutch test. Too. It is on the Dutch test. So it's part of it. So, like I said, it's all in one. I'm, yeah. I don't even sell for. They need to sponsor this show. That's what they need to do. <laughs> no I'm affiliation. Over here, I talk I about it them. like every other show. Yeah, because I love the test. Yeah, and that's really good you know i really i promote things because i like them yeah. not because i'm affiliated or anything like that for sure and uh the, the the last thing i want to talk to you about was how about environmental stuff like what things do do we need to be watching out for i, I touched a little bit on xenoestrogens we went into yeah. that um are there anything anything else that really would be affecting our health um or predisposing to prostate or progression of prostate or anything <sighs> I think we, I mean, the other lifestyle factors, I think we certainly touched upon all of them. The only thing that I could really, and which is super obvious, is smoking. 
Yeah. Right. Uh, but even vaping as well, because there's also a lot of heavy metals in there. Mm -hmm. Right. So you have to be careful that you're not vaping some, from something that's completely unregulated. Yeah. Um, is there literature showing that, you know, heavy metals are a cause of certain types of cancer, particularly prostate cancer? Uh, I'm not very clear as if that's actually the case. But I can't tell you that arsenic, cadmium, lead and mercury is good for you. Yeah. Right. 100%. So, so you have to make sure that you're avoiding those things. There's other toxins in the in the environment, like PCBs, mm -hmm. which are found in a lot of fish, especially mm -hmm. farm fish. Mm -hmm. What is that doing to your a body's your body's what what I call the allostatic load? And I don't think enough people talk about this. So, the allostatic load is essentially the threshold as to which your body can handle and maintain homeostasis, and anything above that that load or anything above that threshold completely throws off homeostatic and equilibrium function, and the body then dysfunctions and causes aberrations in the cellular metabolic function. In a short way, if you do too much to your body, causing too much damage to cellular or uh, organelles, mitochondria, mm -hmm. nucleus, Golgi apparatus and the plasmic reticulum. Like we're going like really deep here, like high Biology. school bio, yeah. high school bio, right? Damage to those things uh, by all these other factors will throw off your system. Mm -hmm. Your body will not function optimally. And how do you reduce that? Well, this is where I get into the conversation. It's not just your sleep. It's not just your diet. It's not just your exercise. It's not just the dioxins and the heterocyclic amines. It's all of these together that when they cause damage, they're going to push you to your limit. And it's like you get burnt out. Once you reach above that limit, it's really hard to revert back. That's the same people say like, oh, I've had dairy my whole life and now it's bothering me. Yeah. Well, great, because all throughout your whole life, you've also been eating a bunch of sugar. You've also been drinking tap water mm -hmm. out of horrible faucets, yeah. right? Like yeah. who, who knows what's in there? You've reached your load. I need to bring you back to baseline. Yeah, yeah. I use the same analogy with cup and just filling up a cup, and yeah. it's it's over overflowing. So yeah, and and it's hard to say with environmental toxins, um, you know, how much each of us can handle because your cup may be a gallon, it yeah. might be my, my like a little shot glass, you yeah. know. But I I remember uh, Dr. Diane Fong came on the show, who was actually part of our. Uh, she went to our school. Yeah. She said that cup, the size of it, is based on your daily stress. Absolutely. So again, that goes back Absolutely. full circle to what you really preach a lot about is Absolutely. handling your stress because we know the damage that it does. Well, it happened to me, right? I, I, I'm lucky. I can handle caffeine. Mm. Um, I used to be able to handle alcohol, although I don't really drink much anymore. But um, I was having uh, occasional dairy. I'm a Italian background. Yeah. If my mom saw that I completely like did not have her lasagna or something like that, it would, just, it would break her heart. Yeah. So I said, okay, mom, I'll have, I'll have the lasagna for you. <laughs> I love you, mom. Yeah. I will eat this for you. Yeah. And it tasted really good. Mm -hmm. But that started happening very frequently. And then my girlfriend and her mom, they were making stuff with like dairy in it that was hidden, like artichokes, stuffed artichokes. And there was Parmesan in there, yeah. right? It's like, who would have thought that? Yeah. I knew that, but I was like, wow, this tastes really good. Parmesan and meatballs, right? Mm -hmm. Or people put Parmesan and cheese in like hummus or who tahini. Right. You have no idea. Then I started getting eczema on my elbows. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh. I was like, what is going on? Like, this is not me. Like, I was, I don't react to mostly anything. Yeah. And, um, and then I was like, you know what? I have to cut out dairy. And it took six weeks of no dairy, zero, no artichokes, 
no meatballs. Six weeks. Six weeks. And my elbows are perfectly fine now. Wow. They're great. That's incredible. But, but it shows you that I have reached my load. Ralph, dial it back. And that was the one thing. And we're so in tune with our body that I really wish like, more people were able to be in tune mm -hmm. because you can identify what, those, what that trigger is. And we can identify. I was like, okay, it's a dairy. Got to cut it back. Everything went back to normal. Yeah. Get in, get in tune with your body is what I tell people because, you know, some people are like, oh, I just had the stomachache for the past eight years. I don't know what it means. Yeah. You know, so let's get more in tune about what we're eating and what we're putting in our yeah. body in general. Um, all right, Ralph. So where can people find you? Oh, uh, Instagram is probably going to be the best way to find me uh, at dr.ralphesposito. Mm -hmm. um, website is uh, soon to be out, dr.ralphesposito.com. But Instagram is probably the best way to get the most information from me. Yeah, and you're putting it out there, and it's very detail-oriented just in the way you do it in your style, man. Like I geek out. Yeah, you you definitely geek out more than anyone I know, and I appreciate that because I'm able to geek out with you. Um, all right, thank you, Ralph, for coming in here, dropping some knowledge, helping a lot of people. I hope so. Yeah, no, for sure, and you have been for quite a while, so I got much love for you, brother. Thanks, man. All right, what an amazing interview. I tell you, when I said this guy's passionate, when I told you this guy was going to geek out, I was not lying. It comes through every day. It's, it's since I've known him in med school. Um, wonderful guy, wonderful insight. I really hope this helped. If you have any questions, reach out to both of us. If you have a loved one with prostate cancer, reach out to both of us. It's something that we both love doing. And yeah, I hope that helped. Hope, hope it saved some lives. And you know, it's high vibration love. Make sure you're re reviewing, rating, subscribing, and uh, really giving love to the show as we are giving love to you. Thank you. Get ready for next week. We're coming with the fire.